Bandwidth for this episode of Mac Power Users has been provided by Midas Green Technologies, virtual private servers submerged in oil. Find out more at MidasGreenTech.com slash 5x5. Mac Power Users, Episode 59, iPad at Work. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks along with Katie Floyd. Hi, Katie. Hey, David. Today, we're here to talk about something kind of near and dear to my heart, my most recent book. It's about time. Yeah, it feels like it. Seems like you've been working on this one longer than you worked on the first one. You'd think, but not really. Actually, this one went faster. So uh, for those of you who don't know, I've written a few books uh, for Wiley Press. The first one was called Mac at Work, and the, uh, this most recent one is called iPad at Work. And uh, so I put the book together, and we thought we'd do a show where I could just talk about the workflows and ways that I went ahead and wrote a book using the Apple technology and also just kind of the story behind the story. But this isn't just going to be blatant um, why you should buy my book, although you should buy David's book. The reason that this show is interesting to other Mac users is because we're actually going to talk about how you wrote this book, the technology that you used, the applications that you used, the processes that you went through. And even if you're not getting ready to write a book, these can be translated into all different kinds of, of areas of life. Yeah, it's a lot of organizing and writing workflows when you get down to it. So let's you know put our boots on and get started. Kind of a workflows with David Sparks episode then, huh? Uh, at least for this book, yeah. All right. So David, how did this all start? I mean, wasn't one enough for you? Yeah, exactly. You'd think. <laughs> After one, you'd be smart enough not to do a second. Uh, but what it really got started with the iPad at Workbook, uh, we first began discussing you know, a few days after the iPad was announced because I, at that time I was in the midst of negotiating the deal for Mac at Work. And one of the things Wiley says, well, maybe we should do iPad at Work. And at the time, I felt like it wasn't ready yet. I mean, all we had at that point was the iWork apps. And it wasn't really clear, you know, how are we going to manage PDFs or how are we going to do things with this new device? So I felt like it needed to wait, you know, it needed to mature a while so the app developers could have time to get in there and dig in. And uh, they agreed. So we went ahead and did the Mac at work book first. And also, I think, frankly, widely wanted to make sure I didn't stink, you know, before they made two books. But uh, so that initially we talked about it, but then we tabled it. Um, and then, you know, things got you know, the the first book came out. It did well. Everybody liked it. Um, I, I wasn't, you know, horribly bad with the publisher. So they started talking to me at Macworld this year in 2011 about, hey, you know, let's do that iPad at work book. And uh, that's kind of how it got started. So that must have been somewhat of a relief because uh, initially when you did Mac at work, there was, you know, there was almost a year of, is this going to happen? Is this not going to happen? Yeah, this was completely the opposite. I mean, and if we did a show on the first book too, and I went through the whole weirdness with the publishing industry in that book, I'm sorry, in that show, but in this show, it was just like, Hey, you want to do it? And which, which is opposed to the last book where, you know, they couldn't decide and then I couldn't decide and, you know, went back and forth. It was very, a troublesome, you know, birth, but this new one was like, Hey, you want to do it? And I said, sure. So negotiations didn't take very long. We had already kind of gone through it once. Um, you know, you know, we had a point where they're, you know, I said, well, I want more money. And they said, well, we want it faster. And I said, well, you know, we both want something then. So that should work out. And, uh, and it did. 
And uh, so then, you know, I'm working with a publisher again. And uh, now in this in this world of of digital publishing, where everybody's got an iPad, everybody's got a Kindle, I can go download books off the Internet uh, legally, of course. Digital distribution is is in some ways becoming rapidly more popular than, um, you know, physical distribution. I don't I think now that there's maybe one brick and mortar bookstore in in my suburban neighborhood why why go with a, a a a publisher rather than just do this on your own yeah and is your one brick and mortar barnes and noble it is yeah that's that seems like the only one that's around anymore yeah you know i really thought about it especially after having done one i thought the first time doing it with a publisher was a good idea because you know i'm totally clueless about this industry and how it works and having an editor and kind of learning the lay of the land was really a, a great opportunity for me and I decided to go ahead and do the second one with the publisher as well because the people at Wiley treated me really well last time to begin with. And it gets a wider distribution than if you had just done it as an ebook. And I guess, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, a published book just feels a little bit more legitimate at this point. Um, I, I think that the whole publishing industry is in upheaval right now. I, uh, and I can talk about that later with some of the stuff we did with this particular book to kind of, you know, make it new and do some interesting stuff with it. But it seems to me like the, the publishing industry, these guys have been, you know, printing books for so long. They're not sure exactly what's going to happen in the future. And I'm not so sure that big publishers are going to be as necessary for the exact reasons you've already stated. But for now, I think there's kind of a, um, there's still an opportunity to get books out there and there's still Barnes and Nobles and places and Amazons and places like that, that sell printed books. And there's still people who like printed books. So, yeah, I I'm, I'm staring at an entire bookshelf right now full of printed books. And I'll tell you, I, even though I in many ways prefer to read ebooks, if it's a book that I really like, I mean, I've got three copies of Mac at work sitting right here on my bookshelf and I've got the, the ebook version on my iPad. Yeah. There's something yeah. about having a physical book. Yeah. So, you know, there's something there. And then I had this conversation with a really smart guy who's a writer as well. And he was telling me about how his agent had told him about the golden ticket principle. Which kind of makes sense to me that, you know, right now they're still handing out those golden tickets that say you're, you know, a published author through a legitimate publishing house. And it's not clear how much longer those tickets are going to be handed out. So you should probably get a couple while you still can. And so that's kind of why I did it. I mean, I probably would make more money if I did these things just through self-publishing, you know, because I'd get such a bigger percentage of of the, the money that's earned on the book. But at this point, at least... Uh, I think I'm perfectly happy to be working with this publisher. And and so I decided, yeah, let's do it again. So they asked me about iPad at work, and I uh, I signed on. You know, it, It's kind of crazy. I mean, writing a book is really hard. I guess I'll talk about that later. But the uh, but I, I went into it this time with open eyes, and uh, I was ready to go. So how did the vision for this book come about? Why, why iPad at work? Um, you know, I just I love the iPad. And I just think it's a really revolutionary device. I think that in the future, there's going to be more tablet-type devices than truck-type devices, to use Steve Jobs' analogy. And uh, I'd like to be at the front of that. You know, the uh, the organization of the book is just like Mac at work. Uh, rather than be holistic, I decided to break it up by chapter. So um, each chapter covers a different area of getting work done with your Apple technology. So like the PDF chapter is a good example. It's, you know, uh, like 7,000 words about how to use PDFs on your iPad 
including workflows, synchronizing, annotating, all that stuff. And there's 24 of those, so it covers everything, you know, word processing, um, working with the enterprise, you know, security, you know, just about anything you can think of you need to get work done on your iPad, it covers. Now, one of the problems, and I guess it wasn't really a problem, but one of the problems that you have about writing technology books in general is that technology is constantly evolving and changing. And in your case, this book really started in January, but then Apple has this tendency every April to publish new iPads. And now we've got this new iOS coming out. How did you deal with that? Um, you know, I'm going to talk about the outlining and how I worked up the book in, in a minute. Okay. But the uh, but just to you know give you a short answer, I didn't start writing the book until I think about three months after I agreed to write the book because I just wanted to do nothing but work with the iPad. So for a long time, the Mac stayed at home, and you know, I just wanted to dig in real deep before I started writing. And I spent a lot of time outlining. In fact, that was one of the lessons from the first book. Um, so you, you actually learn a lot doing a first book and, you know, you get to apply advantages to the second book. Uh, but before we do that, let's, let's cover our first sponsor. All right. Well, you were just talking about a lot of the PDF workflows that you use. So maybe we should talk about PDF pen from smile. Yeah. Uh, smile software is one of my favorite sponsors and uh, favorite companies making software for the Mac and the iOS. And they have a great product called PDF pen. It's just $60 and PDF pen pro, which is a hundred dollars, which are, high-end PDF management tools. Um, you know, if you look at, I was just looking the other day, Adobe Acrobat X at this point on the Mac is $400. Oh. And uh, so for a fraction of the price, you're getting almost all of those features. And some of them are implemented, in my opinion, better than Adobe does. So uh, it's a great app. And, you know, a lot of people that switch over the Mac don't understand because on the PC, you've got Adobe, was it Acrobat Express, I think they call it, or Standard? I think it's called Standard. It's like $100. So you can get a decent PDF app from Adobe for $100 on the PC, but on the Mac, it's, they only sell Pro. You know? So you, got, you spend $400 or you're out. Well, Smile solves that problem for you. For 60 bucks, you can get a great PDF app that handles all your needs. Now, PDF Pen will allow you to edit your PDF documents, you can add things like your signatures, you can add text, you can rearrange text, you can redact, and by redact, you're not just blacking something out. You're removing the top layer of the image as well as the underlying text that may be OCR'd underneath. You can OCR text. You can create forms with the pro version of PDF. You can uh, bookmark with the pro version. You can uh, create, uh, I think, David, you said that you use it. Uh, to create like complex bookmarked notebooks of PDFs uh, that are searchable and and highly indexed in in your legal work. Exactly. Every case I have starts life in PDF Pen Pro, and it gets bookmarked, and I've got all of the evidence for the case in one nice big fat file. Works great. It does OCR, so it goes through and does some optical character recognition throughout the the bookmarked you know file of evidence, mm-hmm. and then that works on any platform. Once you've created that file, I can read it on the PDFs up on my iPad. I can send it over to a PC user and they can read it in Adobe or whatever PDF app they use on the PC. It's a great app. You can download a free trial of PDF Pen from smilesoftware.com. It's available PDF Pen for $60 either from the Smile Software website or the Mac App Store. And PDF Pen Pro is $100. So go check it out. Yeah. And thanks, Smile, for sponsoring the podcast. 
Um, so, David, you were talking a little bit about what were the advantages of of having done a book before. Yeah, you know, and there's a lot of them because you know when I first went into the first one, I really had no clue what I was doing whatsoever, and they don't have like a little class you take that says, okay, this is how we format screenshots or this is how we refer to, you know, just little things like how do you write the word website? You know, it's, you know, in the publishing industry, they, every publisher kind of has their own language. Yeah. Is it one word or two? Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I was really clueless going through it. So the first time, and my editors were very kind and, you know, but at the same time they, they didn't hold my hand really either. They just said, no, this is wrong. And so I'd do all this work and then I'd find out that something was wrong just because I had no idea, you know, that I really had no way of knowing. Um, and that stuff didn't happen this time because I already been through it. And, and frankly, there wasn't so much fear. I mean, the first time I wrote this book, I was kind of pretty scared, you know, that it was going to suck and nobody was going to want to read it. And uh, nobody had really written a book like this where you, you know, kind of attacked all the various works elements um, on Apple technology. So a lot of people were telling me how it would never sell, you know, so. Right. I, uh, I was I was afraid. In fact, it was kind of funny with the first book when I got the check in and started writing in earnest. I put the check in a drawer. I didn't even cash it because I was just convinced I was going to submit my first couple chapters. And they were going to say, you know, this really isn't working and I don't think we're going to go forward with it. <laughs> but, you know, Changed that's just my, my mind. Yeah, this is my own neurosis. So they didn't say that. So I did end up cashing the check and everything went OK. But so with this book, I, I didn't have to deal with all that stuff. I was like, okay, I can write a book. I've done it before. I'll do it again. So that was really an advantage for me. Um, but it also, um, the other advantage was really having made mistakes on the first one. It gave me a chance to do it right the second time. And, uh, and I felt the first book was really good, but I mean, I, I thought there were things I could have done better. And that's where, you know, I started in earnest. So when we started talking in January, we didn't have a contract or anything but it was pretty clear to me the book was going to go forward. So when I got back from Macworld, I took a really good look at what was on my iPad and started saying, okay, if my Mac was down, how much work could I get done on this thing? And, you know, as they say, the proof is in the pudding. I just, I left my Mac at home and started going to work with just an iPad for about three months. And what did you find? Were you were you trimming down your apps? Were you adding a bunch of apps? Did you find that you had to go out and buy a ton of apps to to make this work, or did you find that there were a select few that really did everything you needed? Um, were you no, more I looked selective? Of, well, I looked at a lot of apps. I look at my job in writing these books as um, going through the muddy waters for the reader, you know, and and coming up with the solutions that work. I don't spend a lot of time in the book saying you know, I use this app and it stunk and I use this app and it doesn't have a good UI. I just said, yeah, that's not I'm, helpful. Just this yeah, is what worked. Yeah, exactly. I just said, I'm going to cover what works. And the, um, but I first had to figure out what that was. And I knew in a lot of instances what I liked already, but I didn't want to leave short shrift to somebody else. So I started buying apps. I mean, there, there's hundreds of apps in the book. There's probably hundreds more in the scrap heap that didn't make the cut. And so I, I did use a lot of apps. The um, I think for the beginning though, the app that I used the most was iThoughts HD. I mean, that was my friend for the first couple months. Okay, all the book, the only place the book existed for um, the first three months probably was in an iThoughts HD mind map. So what I did is I just started it, and you know, the the central tenant was uh, 
iPad at work. And then I started adding sections to it. Like I knew I wanted to cover, you know, app related workflows and I wanted to cover communications and I wanted to cover systems. So I had some real general uh, trees branching off of that. And then from that, I would start branching off again, you know, like presentations or um, text editing or, you know, I, I did one on brainstorming. I did a whole chapter on brainstorming because I think that the iPad lends itself to that so much. So all these, you know, branches started growing out of it. And from those branches started growing specific apps. And from those specific apps started growing specific workflows and ideas. And that's what I did for probably the first two and a half, almost three months is I just worked and I kept adding notes that every time I came across something that I thought it was of note or of interest. And by the time, you know, I got to, I guess it was about April, I had this massive um, mind map for the book. So you had general ideas that branched off and then eventually would become chapters and then categories within chapters and then applications that you wanted to mention within chapters, or was it not yet that formed? No, it was like that. Okay. It was like that. And that was the lesson from the first book. The first book I kind of knew, because I've been using the Mac for years, I kind of knew what I wanted to write about, but I didn't take kind of that systematic approach to the beginning. And as I went through and wrote the book, I did find there were areas where I said, well, you know, I should study this more or find something else. So in this case, I did, I front loaded most of that stuff. And, uh, I did that with this extensive mind map and, you know, I, I'd never been a big mind map user until I got an iPad because I think the iPad for me makes mind mapping just so much easier. And did that, I thoughts HD mind map ever turn into an outline or did that directly get dumped into where you were doing your writing? Well, it is a OPML file. In fact, okay. I forgot to mention on our last show, I wrote a nice article about this for Macworld. I'll put in the show notes about using OPML. Uh, so OPML is a standard outlining format that is conversant with both mind mapping apps and outlining apps. So as you, and, and when I did this part of the book, um, on the outliner was for the iPad wasn't out yet. So I didn't have really, a really, I wasn't really happy with any of the outliners on the iPad. But it is an OPML file. So um, I could occasionally send the OPML file over to Omni Outliner on my Mac and play with it in an outline format as well. And then and, that's, that goes both ways. You could play with it on your Mac in Omni Outline format and then send it back to iThoughts HD. I mean, yeah, as many so, times as you want it, right? Exactly. So long as you keep it in the OPML format. And both of those apps do a really good job of it. In fact, the more recent editions of iThoughts HD, they didn't have this back when I was working on the book outline, allow you to export directly via OPML to Omni Outliner on the iPad, which is really nice if you're using that app. And I really can't say enough good things about iThoughts HD for this portion of this work because... The app really gets out of the way. You know, when you're making an entry in a mind map, you don't have to go up and tap a button with your finger to create a new um, sibling entry. You just hit the return key three times, and it creates one automatically. And you don't have to hit um, a button with your finger to create a child entry. You just hit the space bar three times. And it takes care of the grammar, and it does all that for you. And it just, you know, the developer, this is a, a typical you know, outstanding iPad app in my mind. It's got a, a small development team. I think it's just one person. And the guy's just, you know, religiously dedicated to making this the best possible app and is always pushing out updates. And, and I wrote them a few times during it. There was um, 
some things about it I would like to see improved, and both of the things I talked to him about are already on his map. So it's uh, it's just a great app, and so and I really used it a lot uh, getting started on this book project. But that's really no different. I use iThoughts HD all the time for any big writing project because I think it's just a really good way to start getting your thoughts organized. Okay. So after you've got all your thoughts organized and uh, do you write anything or, you know, do you start writing at all once you've got, okay, I think I've got this chapter pretty well mapped out or no, you had the entire booked out map before, mapped out before you started. Yeah. So that's the way I did it this time is I, I really didn't start writing anything until I had what I felt was a sufficient mind map of the whole book. Um, so David, at some point were you just getting nervous? Like I've, I'm spending all this time brainstorming. I'm months are ticking by. This book is due. I've got to start writing. No. Okay. <laughs> it really didn't bother me. I, uh, I felt like that I needed to spend time getting the foundation right. And the foundation to me was making sure I covered the right workflows and the right apps. And I knew that, you know, the process of writing about them was something I could do. I've already done that once. And, uh, so I just felt like it's time to, you know, get the, like I said, get the foundation built. So I spent a lot of time on that outline and I think it paid off because when I did start to write, things just took off. Uh, there was one issue though, because while I was doing this, we had heard rumblings of iOS 5, but there was no iOS 5 yet. So that's, that's gotta be kind of a little bit of a waiting game because on you, on one hand you, you, you've got this deadline looming, but you don't want to start writing about something you know is going to be obsolete because generally Apple, you know, re- talks about iOS five and releases iOS five, and and you know we're looking at a June, July, August timeframe. Yeah, I mean, when we started talking in January about this book, I was under the assumption that in March there'd be a town hall meeting and there'd be a developer release of iOS five, and you know June, July it would be out in the wild and. So there'd be no problem with me having full access to iOS 5 when I started writing the book. And that didn't happen. You know, <laughs> in fact, uh, uh, iOS 5, as we record this, hasn't come out. I'm sure by the time this show airs, it'll already be out. But the, um, um, it just took them a long time to get it out this year. So I kind of wrote around that. And um, so the outline it was a little sketchy with some of the underlying system stuff. You know, I, I figured there'd be a new notification. I figured there'd be a bunch of this stuff. But it didn't really affect that many chapters because this book is really about apps more than it is about the operating system. Um, but it, it did, you know, create a little bit of a hitch in the giddy-up. Uh, but the, uh, it worked out. So, so I had the outline done, though, after two or three months. And that's when, like Cortez, I burned my ships. And I decided, okay, this is good. You know, I'm happy with this mind map. And... Uh, I took the OPML file and I went into Scrivener and I opened up a new file called iPad at work using that OPML file. And then I was done with iThoughts HD at that point. No going back. Yeah. So once the, once I made the transition from planning to writing, um, I switched to just one tool and I used my favorite writing app, Scrivener. You know, I was looking, I looked at my invoice. I bought Scrivener in January of 2007 and, uh, man, I just, I still love that app. I think you've gotten your money's worth. Yeah, I have two books written out of it. Countless briefs, just a great writing app for the Mac. And, and I've been talking a lot lately about some other, you know, text editors and stuff I use, but for serious writing projects, I still just love my Scrivener. So, and, and it talks OPML, 
you know, so getting back to the OPML discussion earlier, I was able to take the OPML file out of iThoughts HD and open a new project in Scrivener based on it. And what that does is creates all the hierarchy of all the little nodes that I had built in iThoughts HD over the past several months. So with one import, I had my book project outlined and set up. And that's when I started writing. So at this point, you, you see your book more in outline format, and you can just drop down and, and you can start writing, okay, chapter one. chapter. But I'm, I'm imagining you didn't, didn't write it in order. No, I didn't. In fact, I skipped most of the beginning stuff was the uh, stuff that would relate to iOS 5, which at the time I didn't have access to and nobody knew what it was. So I started right in the middle and worked my way towards the end. And that's all the chapters that deal with specific workflows and apps. And um, I'd like to say I wrote them linearly, but I really didn't. You know, The nice thing about having done all that, that work earlier was that I had this huge canvas to paint on and I could go anywhere and write anything because in Scrivener, it's really easy to jump around. So, you know, I would be writing about something and it would, a thought would occur to me for a completely unrelated chapter. And I would jump over and, and put some notes or even just start writing that or go back and write a part of the introduction or go jump down to the presentation chapter. You know, it just, there, it was kind of willy nilly and my editor and the people I was working with at Wiley were really busy on some other projects at the time. So they didn't have time to really look at anything I was doing anyway. So it gave me, you know, a month or two to really just kind of go nuts and just write. And that was great because, you know, Scrivener makes that so easy. Um, just a few notes about Scrivener. So when I put a book together, in addition to having the, the book outline from the, the dump from iThoughts HT, then I have all the research tabs. You ever use the research stuff in Scrivener? A little bit. Yeah, okay. So, if you do a book, it's really amazing because there's all these things that I needed to refer to often, you know, like screenshots and um, notes I took or um, dictation text. Sometimes I would just dictate with drag and dictate and it wasn't really usable for the book, but it was a starting point. Um, it was just kind of a brain dump. Yeah, exactly. And then um, Apple has these UI guidelines for the iPad, which you can get in the developer program. And I wanted to use the right terminology, you know, when you're referring to the action button or the, you know, send to button. And, you know, they've got all these, you know, all these names for all these different pieces of the user interface. So I want to make sure I use those right. So I put those in as a research tab. And then I had all this stuff from Wiley. I had kept a notational velocity file. Every time Wiley would correct me on some kind of way they want to refer to something like in Wiley speak every time each one of those little buttons is called an icon button you know so that's what they want to refer to so just little things like that i'd have all those notes in research as well so i had an active research tab and i had a big list of chapters and in each chapter there was a big list of sub issues and i just started filling those in i never hit a writing block a single time throughout the whole book which is pretty impressive but i think i i uh i say that's as a result of all the work i did up front with the outline Wow. So if you're, you're jumping around a little bit here and there, at, at some point, they're probably going to want to see some finished chapters, right? Yeah, I mean, we're getting there. Like I said, people were on vacation. Um, so in addition to the research tab, I've got the chapters in Scrivener. And so Scrivener, work, it's a word processor, but it's really a writing tool more than that. We did a whole show on it. I'll put the link in the notes. But in my list of chapters, 
uh, what I would do is I used a big, ugly, mono-spaced font. Um, the one, I went and looked it up when we were preparing for the show. It's Bitstream Verisans Mono. And uh, it's big and ugly because I'm getting older and it's harder to read the really tiny script. And it's mono-spaced because then every comma gets its own you know, character space. So grammatically, it's much easier to kind of proofread it and make sure you don't miss anything. And so I would start tearing through these chapters, and some built faster than others. And I was always aware, you know, and this book in particular was hard because uh, on the Mac at Work book, these apps don't update as often, you know. Um, as an example, right. at Mac at Work, as I was finishing the book, I have a whole chapter in Mac at Work about speech, you know, and how to use speech technologies, including at the time it was called Mac Speech Dictate, which was a great app. And as the book was nearly done, um, Mac Speech Dictate got bought by Dragon Dictate. They released a new app called Dragon Dictate for Mac, which changed some of the UI and changed some other features. So I had to go back and, and kind of gut that chapter and, and rewrite it at the last minute. Well, that was, a, that was kind of a unique thing on the Mac, but on the iPad, that was like a weekly thing in this book. You know, oh, because, no. Because every time you go into iTunes, their app updates. Exactly. So I was always trying to keep up with the ones that were hot. And, um, and so that was another reason to kind of keep everything in Scrivener and keep it fluid as long as I possibly could. And the people at Wiley trusted me because I'd turned in a book on time before, so they figured I'd get it done. And uh, so they weren't really pushing me too hard. And I was constantly doing this fluid process of writing, going back and changing when changes happened. And, um, and uh, it worked out, you know. But the, uh, the other thing I did with Scrivener this time, uh, more than I did with Mac at work, is I felt like I needed to write a lot of this book on the iPad because it's such about the iPad. I mean, it seems kind of hypocritical to write the whole thing on a Mac, right? Sure. So I decided this time to get serious about um, syncing my notes uh, with the iPad. And, and right about this time, we had done the show with Merlin Mann, uh, the second show with Merlin. And, and during the show, I had given him this big rap about how I've got what's Scrivener anymore. I don't sync stuff because it's too much of a pain. And all I do is I write initial drafts on the iPad, and then I drop them into Scrivener and go from there, and then I consider it done. And like within a week, I had switched my mind and, and gone back to syncing. <laughs> so, well, and it's got to be a little bit terrifying because, oh my gosh, if something happens. I never really worried about that because I've got this thing on on Dropbox, which has its own versioning system. I've got it attached to two different Macs that are in Time Machine and they get regular super duper backups. You know, we've done the backup show. I'm I'm nuts about this stuff. So I never felt like I'd lose anything or lose much. Okay. Um so so the workflow in Scrivener uh to synchronize, they don't have an iPad app. Although that may change, you know, now they're gonna have RTF in iOS five. Hopefully they will. But but the mechanics are not that difficult. So Scrivener syncs your your document or the pieces of your document you ask it to with Dropbox and there's, so there's a folder somewhere in Dropbox with essentially a bunch of text files. And then, um, I used Notesy, which is a really good text editor for the iPad. And, uh, there's several good ones, but this was just one of the ones I thought really worked well. And I used Notesy only for I, I, iPad at work. So all it had was iPad at work data and it synced with that specific Dropbox folder. So I could jump back and forth, essentially. So you, every time you close out Scrivener, it updates the Dropbox database. Every time you open Notesy, it updates with the database. And you just keep it in sync. So if I'm getting you know, the oil changed in my car, I could write you know, on the chapter about this or that. And I wrote a big portion of the book, probably about half of it, on the iPad in various contexts that way. I think it still makes me nervous. <laughs> 
it wasn't, you know, um, it wasn't bad. So are you are you using the iPad keyboard? Are you using the external Bluetooth keyboard? I mean, physically, I think that would be um, painful. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the final book is about 110,000 words, um, which is a little bit bigger than the, than the last book with Mac at work. Um, I wrote about half of it on the iPad, and most of that was done with a Bluetooth keyboard. But, you know, a good percentage of it was done with the iPad keyboard, too. One of the things I discovered writing this book is that I kind of like the iPad on-screen keyboard. Now, now, I noticed with the iPhone keyboard, it was one of those things that when I first got the, the iPhone, and I can't tell you where it was, but a bit flipped in my brain, and I got it. And I don't think that bit has flipped yet with the iPad. Does that happen at some point? Yeah, it happened for me. Because, you know, I don't. if I was going to write over 1,000 words, I would get a keyboard out and do it right. But I mean, for less than a thousand words, I am okay with the iPad keyboard and it's not as fast. I'm a touch typist, but it's really convenient. And if that's all I have with me, it works. What, what kind of, um, because related to that, hopefully you've got a case that props it up nicely and allows you nice, reasonable ergonomic access to it. What were you using for that? Yeah, I've got a, uh, it's kind of funny. I have a case for my keyboard. Oh, I actually put this in the uh, book because I think it's such a great product and it's called the origami case. And what it does is it's a case for the keyboard, but it folds up and like an origami bird, it attaches to itself and it becomes a stand for the iPad at the same time. It's really neat. So it's a case for the Apple Bluetooth keyboard? Yes. That's pretty neat. Um, So I used that when I was traveling and, and I was doing quite a bit of traveling while I was writing this book. So getting stuck in the airport for three hours with your iPad and a Bluetooth keyboard, you know, you can write two or 3,000 words that fast. Sure. You know, and, or even on an airplane or whatever. So uh, it's, it's very nice for that stuff. You know, I just felt like, you know, so this portion of the book really was all about Scrivener and Notesy, and everything was happening in there. You know, and both of those things, especially Scrivener, you can very quickly jump around, reorder, you know. It's really an anti-writer block tool because every time you start running out of gas on whatever you're writing about now, you've got hundreds of other little subjects that you've already, you know, made a contract with yourself to write about. So just jump to one of those and continue there. And your research is close by. Now, unless you've convinced them otherwise, at some point you have to say goodbye to Scrivener because Wiley will not accept your Scrivener files. Yeah. That was, that was always a problem. It was a problem with the first book and with the second. And, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the reasons why I'm writing these books because, you know, whenever you're in a work environment and you deal with other people and there's always that guy that doesn't want to deal with your Mac files, right? You well, know? and, and um, Dr. Mac, Bob Levitas was talking about that. He's written dozens and dozens and dozens of books and that's why he uses Word. Yeah, so he just sticks in Word because he's in Wiley too and that's the Wiley system is all about Microsoft Word. And, you know, when we recorded the Dr. Mac show, I'd considered, well, you know, why am I doing this in Scrivener when I could uh, just set this up as a big Word document, and Word has outlining tools, and I could I could jump around in Word. Yeah, but, how long did you consider that for? Well, I, I considered it seriously. I mean, but by that time, I was pretty far down the road on this book anyway. But you know, you know, why am I doing this? Why am I adding this extra step? But frankly, if I had it to do over again, I still would stay with Scrivener because I'm really comfortable with the tools. Um, I like all the stuff that Scrivener brings to the table that really just isn't in there in Word. You don't have your research immediately you know, available and indexable, and you don't have the ability to rearrange the document as easily as you can in Scrivener. So you know, maybe it's just my own comfort level, but I felt like 
this is definitely a step worth it. And frankly, with my relationship with the publisher, they weren't pushing me to turn in chapters every week or whatever. They just said, you know, keep on it. And I was, t- I was giving them word counts. So they knew that, you know, I was pushing hard on it, uh, even though they hadn't seen much. But eventually, you're right. Eventually, I have to get the process into the editing process. And, you know, for uh, people listening who haven't, you know, dealt with publishers, at some point, you have to submit something. And it's a give-and-take process. I mean, I had, in this case, a, a really smart technical editor and a really smart kind of grammar editor who was checking all the grammar. And both of those people had input that I thought was very useful and makes the book better. So it's not one of these things where I just submit it and say, you know, take it or leave it. You know, I'm not J.D. Salinger, you know. <laughs> but uh, uh, I would submit this stuff and, and they would, we would track changes. And in Wiley, um, not only tracking changes, but just getting it into the publishing system and the publishing software requires that it be a Word document. So how did I do that? Um, what I did was I kept working in Scrivener throughout the process, but occasionally a chapter would run out of pieces. You know, you know, each one, when you create this project in Scrivener, there's a little entry for each, each node of your, of your iThoughts HD mind map. And at some point, all of those nodes get filled. You know, you've written in all the pieces you need. So at that point, the chapter is theoretically done. With me? I'm, I'm with you. So at that point, you got to burn some more ships, right? Yeah, okay. So what I do at that point was, and my goal for this process was, and it's not that, you know, Word is, is terrible. It's got a lot better. But I didn't want to spend a lot of time in Word because I wanted to use a tool that I was most comfortable with. So I would do proofreads, again, in, in Scrivener, you know, because you can display just as a chapter. And I'd go through and proofread it once or twice and, and make sure it was just where I wanted it to be. And uh, the whole time I was writing this stuff, um, with markdown codes, you know, for bold and italics. But frankly, there aren't that many in there because it's a book and there's not that many bolds and italics and stuff. I didn't use multi-markdown this time. I just used the basic markdown syntax. And, um, and so I could export it as RTF and then put it in Word. And I did that for a while. But again, we had a problem at Wiley where there was some kind of code in the Word document that was... Um, causing the trouble with the, the software that was publishing the book. So they, they didn't want me to do anything but just plain text, which was okay with me. So, so, the, lived, so the RTF was a problem? I don't or think no? it was. Okay. You, <laughs> I don't think that was the, there was some goofy thing going on at the other end. And, um, and they were, uh, they were pushing back saying, well, maybe it's just because of you using this other app. I don't think it was. Honestly, I think there was something goofy at the other end, but just so there was no question uh, I put the thing into text, so I would literally take the text out, the completed text out of um, out of Scrivener, and I would open a new Word document on a template provided to me by Wiley, and I would plain text paste that text in there, and so I would just have the the basic text down. And again, it's a new language. You know, when you're dealing with a publisher, they have very specific um, style formatting for each, you know, for the headings and for the chapter titles and for the links and for the little text that goes below a screenshot. So all the, you know, but it wasn't really that much work. There's about probably 10 of them that I used actively. So once I had that text into a word document, I would, I would, um, strike it out in Scrivener. So I would mark it in Scrivener that 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 was locked at that point. I wasn't going to work on that in Scrivener anymore at all, that chapter. And then I would have it in Word, and I would go through, and usually while watching a baseball game or something, I would just go through and set the formatting. It took 
a few minutes. And then I would do one final proofread and I would send it off. And so that was the workflow for getting it into Word. So I spent as little time in Word as, as possible, frankly. Right. And uh, once I sent it off, but I also had to do other things. Um, uh, we had to send out, when I sent the chapter off, I'd have to send all the screenshots. And screenshots in this book were easier than the last book because, you know, it's the iPad. You just hit the home and the start button and it shoots a screenshot for you and you're done. Uh, but before iOS 5, those screenshots always came out um, in the wrong format. You'd have to flip them and flip them to landscape mode. So I had an automator action that would do that for me. And it would also put the name in because, you know, it has to have a very specific name, including the ISBN number and some other stuff. So, you know, I put as much automation work as possible to uh, work for me on this. So I had Automator helping me get the screenshot set up. And then there were some other things I wanted to do with this book. Um, I guess I'll talk about it a little later, but we added QR codes to this book. And I had an Automator script to build those as well. Interesting. Yeah. So, the, you know, the steps are once you get out the, the text out of Scrivener, you would do the final format and proofread in Word, and you would build the hyperlinks, because this book does have hyperlinks, and I'll talk about that in a minute, and uh, submit it. And then at that point, it was out of my hands. And that's what was actually being printed at the publishers, right? No, no. No, okay. So, so then the, uh, the technical and the grammar uh, proofreaders were going through it, and they'd send it back to me with change tracking on. Okay. Which, thankfully, this time was a lot less than it was the last time because I had kind of figured out all of the technicalities for the Wiley, how to speak Wiley, I guess. And so it would go through one or two bumps with the uh, change tracking, and then it would get submitted. And, and what happens if something changes? It depends when something changes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the um, if you, uh, you know... It's, kind of a long talk but anyway so if something changes while i'm still in scrivener it was really easy i would just go back and rewrite it right right but let's say you you've sent it off to your editors they've tracked the changes it's been finalized it's good this chapter is done good to go oh and a new beta version of ios 5 came out and it changes everything yeah well i mean the the ios 5 related stuff didn't get submitted until it was very long far along in the beta process so that didn't happen but a good example is the pdf chapter okay um, uh, so when I originally wrote the PDF chapter, um, the two apps that I featured in it were um, um, Goodreader and I Annotate. And, and I, I raked Goodreader over the coals about how terrible it was at annotation, how many taps it takes. And it just wasn't very efficient at that. And in fact, you and I even recorded a podcast around that time. Right. And, um, and I wrote up, you know, two or 3,000 words on how to use annotate to really do serious annotation of PDF files. Well, somewhere along the line, Goodreader decided to fix their annotation tools. Uh-huh. And they started releasing these updates, and it got better and better and better. And to the point where I said, all this text in here about iAnnotate is, you know, not necessary. Because if I rewrite the Goodreader section and take out the rant and, and talk about how to annotate with Goodreader, you can do it all with this one app. And so I cut the whole I annotate out. And, and oh, now they're going to be pissed. Well, you know. That they hear it. It is what it is. You know, I just, I'm trying to give the reader the most efficient, you know, workflows. And if you can do it in one app instead of two, that's better. So, right. so anyway, um, by the time that this all happened, the chapter had been submitted. Uh, the, the changes had been approved. Everything was done. And it was in a PDF form. At this point, the book, the chapter had been laid out and given to me kind of like the final proof. 
And so we took a machete to it. That's all. I just, you know, I went in, I went in PDF pen, frankly, you know, our own uh, sponsor. And I started drawing right, red lines through whole pages. And then, and then I put a big insert sign at the section where I, where I had, was rough on Goodreader about their annotation and wrote, you know, another thousand words about how to annotate with Goodreader and said, insert this here. So it was, it was a lot of work for somebody at the other end. But it came out looking good. So, you know, that's all. And I had some new screenshots, you know. So we had to really go through and, and commit surgery on that chapter. But that's, you know, part of the process. And no matter how hard you work, something will still happen, right? Yeah, I mean, it, of course, because these apps are constantly updating. Because right? we don't even have a final version of iOS 5 yet. Yeah. And in fact, one of the things that scares me a little bit is that these rumors that Apple is going to come out with some great speech tools for iOS 5 at the last minute as a surprise. Well, I hope they do. Yeah. Yeah, me too. But also, I'm, I'm sad that that won't be in the book because the book's already done. Right. Um, but anyway, so, um, uh, so that's kind of the process. Let me, uh, I think before we go on, though, maybe we should talk a, bit, a, little, a little bit about our next sponsor. Well, um, our next sponsor is 1Password. And we talked about 1Password is now available in the Mac App Store, uh, which is a great deal. You can pick up 1Password in the Mac App Store. You get a family license for 1Password. It's a free upgrade to version 4 when it's released. Or if you're still working with, with Snow Leopard or you prefer not to buy from the Mac App Store, and there are people who do, you can still buy 1Password from their website. But I, I had a... An, not so great thing happened to me this week that made me all the more thankful that I was using one password, David. So uh, my credit card got compromised and I'm not quite sure who is at fault, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't me because I still had the credit card in my wallet and um, can't think of anything that I could have done to compromise my credit card because I do everything you should do. I use different passwords on every website. I use secure passwords. I don't use dictionary passwords. And I do all that because one password makes it so easy. But I'm a little paranoid. And whenever something like that happens, I thought this is a good opportunity for me to go through and change all of my financial related passwords again. And when this happened, I breathed a little sigh of relief because I knew that I didn't have any passwords associated with that account or with that credit card that were repeated across multiple sites because I use one password and because everything is a unique, super strong, super secure password. Now I have no idea if someone just guessed my credit card number or if they got it off a receipt somewhere or if they cloned it from when I swiped it at the gas station because that kind of thing is going around, you know, in town. So more likely than not, it was something completely unrelated to the internet but regardless, I feel like I'm as protected as I can be because I use one password. Yeah, it's a great app. Use it all the time. And uh, I like it being in the app store because now you get a family license for the price of one license. Right. So um, you can find more information about one password at onepassword.com. And we thank them for supporting the podcast. So, you know, I've got these PDF proofs coming back and what we call final proofs. But, you know, you still, even all you do through all this process, there's always still mistakes in the final product. So the one in Mac at work that just kills me every time I look at it is I did a little sidebar about kind of the history of the Mac. And it says the Mac premiered in 1986. No. Yeah. I know it premiered in 1984. I know I marked it as wrong. I, I was the one who wrote, originally wrote 86 in an original draft because that's when I got one. But right. the uh, the 84, I know I had fixed it, and I know we had all these proofreaders. Somewhere along the line, a bit got flipped somewhere, and the older version of that sidebar got used, and it's in the book, and that's that. You know, 
what are you going to do? So uh, it happens. But, man, it's a lot of work. We go through and we proofread that as much as we can. I had friends reading it, and you know, we did everything we can. One of the new things you have in this book that is new from the last book is you have a foreword, and you got a rock star to write it for you. Yeah, Merlin Mann wrote the foreword for the book. Uh, it was very nice of him to do that. Now, how did that come about? How did you get Merlin to write your foreword? I asked him. And he said, you know, yeah. and that was just, it. Okay. It just figured, you know, can't hurt to ask, you know. And uh, I don't know, I, Merlin, I, I consider him a friend. Him and I speak on the phone pretty often. And, uh, and he's definitely an inspiration and helped me kind of through this process in various levels. And I thought it'd be nice to have him write it forward. The funny thing about it was he's just so generous. He said he'd do it before I even had any agreement from Wiley as to whether or not they could pay him anything for it. You know, he just, he was on board immediately. And, uh, the other thing that about this, this forward that kind of blew me, blew my mind is that it's about me. I mean, I thought the forward, I expected it to be him writing about how you can use the iPad at work and how he does, or, you know, I just thought it would be kind of more aimed at, at the book subject. And it was really talking about why I'm good at writing about this stuff and why my opinion is worth reading, which it was very uh, flattering for me. Yeah. It's beautifully written for it. I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, I learned other lessons from the first book too. Um, you know, cause once the first book came out, I started talking to people that read it and they had given me some feedback that never really occurred to me on the first one. Now the first thing that they, they told me was, you know, Dave, this book, Mac, it works really great. And you give me all these options, but you don't tell me um, just what to do. And I felt like when I wrote the first book, I'm not going to tell people exactly which apps to use. Like, for instance, in the first book uh, on Mac at work in the task management chapter, I covered like five apps because I felt like depending on how serious your task management system is, you may just need, you know, a napkin or you may need something like OmniFocus, or you may need something in between. And so I wanted to just cover, you know, the bases. So someone reading it could pick the best solution for them. And a lot of people said, no, I need you to tell me which one to use. And <laughs> I felt like it was like narcissistic, you know, to sit at the end of each chapter and say, well, this is what I do. So I did it anyway with the new book. It's, each chapter has kind of like a workflow summary where I talk through the specific apps that I use and how I use them. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but people did ask for it. It's in the new book, so it's there. Um, another thing that I had feedback from people was, you know, what a pain it was to type in links. You know, in the first book, I would make reference to an app um, like Timeline 3D, and then they'd have to go and find Timeline 3D on their Mac to, to get access to the software. And in this book, I decided, you know, it's going to be even harder because a lot of these App Store links are really terrible. You know, they have a bunch of number you know, letter combinations in them. So I said, okay, I'm going to use QR codes. You know, I was walking down the grocery store and I saw a QR code on a coupon. I'm like, well, wait a second. They're in a grocery store. They could go in a book. Now, I wasn't real familiar with QR codes until you educated me. So there may be other people. Tell me what QR codes are. It's, a, um, it's like a scan code and uh, it can link to a person or a phone number or a website and other, other things as well. And there's a ton of great apps on the iPad and the iPhone that use the camera to shoot a picture of this, this QR code and then take your browser immediately to a website. Or on the case of the iPad and the iPhone, it goes to the App Store. Now, are these, is, here's my concern, is, you know, you hear about all these link shortening things and 
that may go away after a while. Is a QR code a standard format? And do I know that a QR code that you create with one app is going to work with another, or if that goes away, that it's, it's going to work in five, six, seven years from now while your book's still out there on the shelf? Yeah. I mean, they started in Asia. They're really huge over there and they're starting to take off now in America. And it's not a link shortener. It's really, excuse me, a link to the full on URL code. And I'd be really surprised if anyone's reading this book in five years, but, uh, you know, because by then the apps will have changed in the workflows. But, but for now, I mean, for the immediate future of this book, which is probably another couple of years, um, I think that it's just fine. And, and they're all over the place. So if you're reading the book, the hardcover book, and you've got an iPad too, and you see an app that looks cool to you, you can just turn on the QR app on your iPad. And I tell you some of the better ones in the introduction to the book. And just point the camera at that code in the book, and immediately you've got it in your app store. And it's in the hardcover book. It's also going to be in the Kindle and iBooks versions, which doesn't make quite as much sense. But like on the well, K- here, let me rotate my camera around and yeah, yeah but it, on the Kindle they don't let you embed links to external sources, so it actually does make sense there. So you can take it with your iPhone. Yeah. Okay. Now, yeah, how, do you, if, how do you create these? Did you use an app or a, a yeah. widget or a, yeah? There's a bunch of apps in the app store. I used, um, I used one. I actually went through a couple of them as I was going through it. Um, let me see. Which is the one that I ended up using the most. QR Beam was the one that I ended up using the most. And they're very easy to make. You just copy the URL for wherever you want to go and you paste it in and it generates the QR code and saves it out as a PNG file. And then I had to be very careful to make sure those all linked up to the right names so the publisher gets the right QR code next to the right app. So for every app in the book, there is a little icon, and then underneath it is the QR code. Okay. So people, it's, it's a very user-friendly book in that way. Another thing about the, the last book that I was never happy with, and I knew this as that book shipped, was I wasn't happy with the screenshots in that book. And you know they were good screenshots, and they demonstrated whatever I was doing, but they seemed kind of willy-nilly, you know, because you know, you'd go through this process of writing the chapter, and at the end you'd have to get these screenshots together, and how would you, you know, pick content? I mean, I wasn't going to use, like, a client file to make content for my book, right? Or even my personal correspondence. I had to have kind of, like, dummy um, dummy files to make these, these screenshots, and it just never really worked in Mac at work. Every chapter's got different stuff. I was looking through it, like the, the PDF chapter, I used um, portions of a public domain book, you know, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, which I used to love that book. So, um, so I just used things like that all over the book, and every chapter was different. And going into this one, I said, I am going to make the screenshots more interesting in this book. So I did. Have you noticed it? Now, you have a copy of the book, right? I do. I wasn't have sure you, if I was allowed to tell people or not. Yeah. Now, have you seen the I guess theme? I can now. Have you seen the theme going through the, the screenshots? That. That you've you're using so, a you don't know what am I supposed to notice? I'm sorry. Okay, so all the screenshots are about a fictional company called Area Fifty One Limited. Oh, oh yeah, that's about aliens. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so it's a company sorry. that it's a company that makes tinfoil hats. Yes. And they have a, like a really weird CEO. They had an event. They went every year. They do a, a barbecue picnic at Stonehenge with their friends. Right. And, and they had some big problem, and you know the, the British government is investigating them. They're building a new uh, corporate headquarters. Uh, it's, it's just 
So all throughout the book, you know, whether it's a presentation or a PDF or a Word document or anything, it's all related to this company. And I just had a good time doing it. So, yeah, and how, it, how much time did you spend setting up this fake company? Oh, uh, probably more time than I should have. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so and it's not mentioned anywhere in the book. It's only in the screenshots. So, okay. you know, I, if you look through it, hopefully there's something funny in there for you. I don't know. I tried to make the letters funny and, you know, to a certain extent, I hopefully I succeeded. The company's called Area 50. Yeah, I had visions of your kids writing these letters, quite frankly. Did that? No? Really? Sorry. Sorry. Okay. Anyway. Oh, well, I thought maybe that's how they could help. No. Okay. It was all me, baby. All right. Anyway, so the uh, so it's area151limited.com. And it was funny, as I was reading the final proof as this thing was going to press, it occurred to me, I said, I wonder if someone already owns area 51 Limited." Dot com and I'm going to get sued for taking their domain in my book, you know, <laughs> which was not a very good thought to have as it's going to press. But it, it appears that Area51Limited.com was not taken and I bought it. So oh, good, good. Now I, I own that domain. <laughs> and uh, if I have time, I'm going to put something funny up at the website. I'm not sure. Or, or you could put a link to Mac or iPad at work. Yeah, I guess I could. I have to find time, though. Well, you but, could just make a redirect real quick. That's not hard. I'll show you. Yeah, I know how to do that, but I mean, I think it would be fun to do something interesting with it. But So anyway, it's got interesting screenshots. So I, I, I tried to apply some lessons from the first book, and I, I'm really happy with the book. Um, you know, the nutty parts of writing an iPad book, I already kind of told you, the apps kept changing, and so chapters changed quite often. I mean, like iWork, I had written about iWork. I wrote about iWork very early in the process, and... You know, because the iWork apps I thought were really stable and they're from Apple, so how often are they going to change? And sure enough, about halfway through this process, uh, Apple updated the iWork apps, and I think this is partly heading into iOS 5 and iCloud, but, you know, it used to be when you went to the document selection screen, it showed a big version of the document and you would scroll sideways through them, and it had, it was really kind of a complicated interface, and now they've got it where you can make folders and you can have groups of them at that document selection screen. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's improved a lot. Yeah, so I, I had to rewrite three different parts of three different chapters because I had I had already written about um, you know keynote and pages and numbers, and that was a big part of it. How to use it? Um, because these are iPad apps, I felt like I could cover them in greater detail. When I was picking one that I thought was really good, in addition to you know explaining why I thought it was the app you should use, I had enough space in the book that I could really walk through the app and the menu items and really explain how to use the app from soup to nuts, which was really great. It was something I couldn't do with the Mac at Workbook because the apps, there was just so much to Mac apps. You can't go through all the preferences and how to you know do things. I mean, I talked about the pieces that I thought were most important, but you can really cover an app thoroughly on the iPad much easier than you can on the Mac. That was great. Um, you know, the other nutty parts was waiting for iOS 5 as this whole thing went through. The early iOS 5 betas were really tough, but I had to use them because I had to write about them. And, you know, early betas are early betas. You know, they crash all the time. I mean, I could not for the life of me get screenshots for the calendar chapter until very late in the process because the early iOS 5 betas, for me, kept crashing iCal, like nuts. And, know, I, and this was your primary iPad. This was the iPad that you were writing the book on, right? Yeah, well, I had to use this stuff because I'm writing it for people who are going to have iOS 5 on the, um, on the iPads when they buy the book. Right, and, and one of the things I think we actually talked about, I don't think you've mentioned yet, is that you actually went out, I, I thought this was a clever excuse, David, that you went out and you, you had to buy an iPad 2 when yeah, it was released. 
so that you could write about it and have the latest and greatest software for, or technology hardware for this book. I, I told Wiley, I said, you know, you guys, you guys have to buy me a new iPad because I'm writing about this stuff. Yeah, you know, how'd that work out for you? Actually, they gave me a little more money for the iPad. Oh, good, good deal. Um, so, but but it, it's not it it's is, not like you just had a spare iPad running around that you could play with iOS five and then go back to yours that worked pristinely. No, I, I, I did something kind of dumb. Really, I sold my old one, and so I you know got some extra money. I should have kept the old one on the old operating system. But to be honest, it really didn't slow me down much. Right, and the apps generally work on it, and there were some problems, but I, I got by. So one of the things you also did with this book is you upgraded from the Wi-Fi to the 3G version of the iPad too, right? Yeah, I got a Verizon one because my phone is AT&T. I figured wherever I go, that way I've got a chance of getting online. Hmm. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about the inspirations for the book. Okay. Because it's a lot of work writing a book. And um, I learned that the first time. You know, In fact, it's kind of funny. You know, Writing a book is a lot harder than you think it would be, even though... It, you would think it's pretty hard. Yeah, I would think it's pretty darn hard. Yeah, it, it just the uh, you know I've, I've talked to the workflow, but really the proofreading and you know making sure everything is perfect, it really makes it like four times as long as you'd think it would. would. I remember uh, this conversation I had with Ted Landau, who's written some books and he writes for MacWorld. He's a really nice guy, and he said that he doesn't like to write books so much anymore. He almost prefers writing articles because you know, a book becomes all consuming and any minute that you're doing anything other than writing the book, you feel guilty because you're not working on the book. And I kind of get that, you know, but I had a lot and of inspirations. It's not know. like you don't have anything else to do, right? Yeah. And I'm doing this on top of a day job, which is really, you know, it's really tough because and I've a f- got family, my, you know, I mean, my clients expect me and I expect myself to, to perform for the client. So I, I have a rule that I never, when I do these projects, is I never work on them um, at work, really. You know, I just do the stuff in, in the evenings and on the weekends. But it's, uh, it takes a lot of time. You know, waking up early and working on it all day Saturday. And, you know, you just got to find time to make this stuff happen. But I had a lot of inspirations, you know, because having done the first one, I, I, I went into it with open eyes. But, the, you know, the Mac at work readers, uh, really inspired me. I mean, I've got these great emails from people all over the world who read the book and said it really helped them become more efficient and change their lives in one way or another. And that meant a lot to me. And, uh, and I wanted to do that for them. And then, you know, we have the listeners of the show and the Max Barkey readers that are always very encouraging. And, you know, my family was, was behind me. I talked to them. I said, okay, if I do this, that means I'm going to be really, you know, in a dark place working hard for a while. And they were, they were totally with me on it. And, um, I had friends, you know, um, uh, Merlin Mann, I think really inspired me and we talked a lot and, uh, it's another reason I wrote the book. Uh, the, um, as I wrote the book, as I was finishing it, we got to this point where Merlin had done a really great part on his back to work show about, you know, how can you do two things at once? And I wrote a juggling post at Max Barkey that got a lot of hits. I'll link that in the post, but I kind of explained why I do all this at once and why I'm so crazy. Um, other inspirations were Bob Levitas. You know, he came on our show and he talked about all the books he'd written. And I'm like, well, you know, Bob, Bob's got it figured out. I should be able to get this done. Uh, Michael Lopp, who's going to be a future guest of ours, uh, wrote a great post a couple of years ago about how to write a book that I went and read two or three times just to kind of keep myself moving. And, and frankly, you were an inspiration because you're such a big help, you know, well, getting uh. the show done, going through it. 
So, you know, I had a lot of good reasons to get it. And, you know, you just make a commitment. Um, one of the things I came up with as I was writing this book is what I call the no journal. And because um, when, you, when you take a commitment on like this, it really forces you to say no to a lot of stuff. You know, I mean, you can't watch TV. There, there's just things that you just don't have time for anymore because you're, you're overcommitted. And um, I started making a journal of writing down. I think one day I might make an app for this or I guess maybe not. I don't know. You can, but you could just do this in a note on your Mac or you could write it down on a piece of paper. But every time you find yourself having to say no because of how many commitments you have, write it down. I started doing that and looking at the things I was saying no to and then weighing those against the things I was saying yes to. And uh, I know it's kind of hippie, but it, it worked for me. I thought that was kind of nice. I'm going to start doing that more now. But, uh, you know, I had inspirations, and uh, I was able to get to the end of the road. And, you know, at the end of the day, it really took, once I started writing in earnest, it was about four months of writing. And the book got done. And now it's sitting in a warehouse in New Jersey. <laughs> As we record the show, it just got printed. Um, it's going to be coming out really soon. I think it will be out by the time this podcast releases. And I'm really happy with it. I just think that, you know, I was able to improve upon Mac at work. And I, I'm so excited about the iPad itself that I think it comes through with this book. So if you're using an iPad to get work done, this may be something you want to look into. I'm very proud of it. The book's going to be in the um, in all the major you know locations. It's going to be in Barnes and Noble. In fact, they're doing a promotion at Barnes and Noble. So I understand it's going to be on the end cap for a little while, which will be oh, good. And um, it's going to be you know in the iBook store and in the Kindle store. Um, in the last book, I told people it doesn't matter if you want digital, you know, iBook or Kindle, they're the same. In this book, it's a little different because the iBook app has now given support for external links, which the Kindle does not do uh, on the iPad. So uh, on the iBook store version, you don't have to use the QR codes. If you see an app, you just touch the, the hyperlink on it and it switches over to the app store and it will load that up for you. Or if you see a link for a website, it'll do the same thing. It'll switch over to Safari and open that link for you, where you can't do that in Kindle. So if you want that, I would recommend getting the iBook version. Um, but it's probably a little bit more money because it always is a little bit more money in iBook. I don't know what it's going to cost an iBook store right now. So, um, or Kindle store, to be honest with you. But um, So it's going to be in both of those. You can already buy it in Amazon if you want the, the paper copy. Well, you can pre-order. Yeah. Well, actually, by the time this comes out, I'm pretty sure you'll be able to. You'll be shipping, it. okay? Yeah, and and, uh, and we're recording the show in advance just because of um, some other commitments we have. So that's why we're yeah. saying by the time the show comes out. Yeah, but we got good support from the brick and mortar retailer, so they've already bought a lot of copies. So it's going to be out there, you know, and that's pretty exciting. You know, there weren't that many copies of Mac at work that made it into the brick and mortar stores because the Mac isn't as uh, sexy of a product as the iPad is right now. So. The brick and mortars didn't buy as many as the the online retailers did, so this will be exciting for me to you know go in bookstores and see my book on the shelf. That'd be great. So, um, in hindsight, David, would you do it differently? Would you do it again? What are your thoughts? Um, you know, I, I think I really nailed the workflows this time better than I did the last time, and I think if I did it again, I'd be a little more efficient. But I think the difference between number one and two was was some really big steps. I don't know how much how big the difference would be between numbers two and three. I think I'm pretty happy with the way I did this. So I, I would do it exactly the same way in terms of spending a lot of time in the organizational steps and, um, and getting, you know, the mind map built, you know, really thoroughly before starting writing any words. 
notes. And I thought that was the smartest thing I did this time. And all the other stuff was, you know, like icing on the cake. You know, the Area 51 and the QR codes. I think all that stuff just makes it a little better. A lot of fun. And, you know, I enjoy the process. I'll be honest, you know. I think I've said in this podcast how hard it is, but it really is fun uh, writing about stuff you're passionate about and sharing it with people. So I can't really complain. I'm pretty lucky. Well, congratulations, David. It is an amazing accomplishment. You've, you've done it again, and I'm sure that iPad at Work will be a smashing success. Thank you, Katie. So I'm so proud of you. Proud to have been a very teeny, 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 tiny part of it by, by being able to talk to you about it through this process. I feel like I had a little behind-the-scenes look at it. Well, hopefully the listeners got it too. I, I really didn't want this to be a show about saying, hey, buy my book, but I would like to talk about, you know, because we're interested in this workflow stuff. You know, how do I do this? Yeah. Hopefully somebody else writing a book, if it makes a difference for them, you know, more power to you. Okay, so let's talk about our last sponsor, LaunchBar. LaunchBar is the first application that I load on my Mac because I cannot stand doing work on my Mac without LaunchBar. I can't stand working on a Mac that doesn't have LaunchBar because it does everything for me. And uh, one of the things that I use LaunchBar for is searching the web. I don't open a a web browser anymore when I want to do a web search. And I search with Google. So instead I hit the keyboard combination to to launch LaunchBar. I think my trigger is Goo, G-O. And then I start searching. I can search Google. If I want to search Wikipedia, I think my keyboard shortcut is WI. I can search IMDB. I can search Amazon. I can search Mac Update. There are all kinds of triggers plugged into LaunchBar that if I want to go download an app from Mac Update or if I want to look up a product on Amazon or get information about something on Wikipedia or a number of other services that you can add in there, I can do it straight from my desktop in LaunchBar without ever opening a web browser. You can also use the Instant Send process. So if you have some text highlighted, you can hit the Instant Send shortcut key. In me, it's uh, just man holding space down. And you can send that into a search. Like you can search it with Google that way. Or one thing I, I use often is Google Images searches. So if I type G-O-O-I, it lets me do an immediate Google Images search if I want to add a picture to something. Oh, yeah. I do that all the time as well. I cannot tell you how many... Uh, keyboard strokes and how many mouse clicks and probably how much RSI launch bar has saved me. It is well, well worth the price of admission. You can buy a launch bar for $35 for a single license, or you can get a family pack for $59, uh, which includes five licenses for up to five computers. Uh, great app. Use it all the time. And we want to thank them for supporting the podcast. All right. Well, let's talk about where you can find the Mac power users. You can uh, find us always at our website at www.macpowerusers.com or on the 5x5 website at 5x5.tv slash MPU. You can also send us feedback at feedback at macpowerusers.com. Or you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Katie Floyd. He's at Mac Sparky. Or the Mac Power Users account is at Mac Power Users. And we love iTunes comments. Uh, the stack is building up again. We lost them all. We switched over by five by five and really appreciate everyone going back and, and giving us new comments. Uh, thank you to our sponsors, Smile, One Password, the Omni Group, and LaunchBar for their kind support of our show. And if you'd like to support our show directly, you can also do so on our website. There's a little donate button there. And we appreciate everyone who has done so thus far. So our next show is going to be a workflow interview with Michael Lopp, the uh, genius behind Rans and Repose. And as I said earlier, uh, one of the articles he wrote was instrumental in helping me get through the process of writing a book. I think he's a really smart guy, and 
can't wait to hear what he has to say. All right. Well, David, again, congratulations on iPad at work. I can't wait uh, until it hits the shelves and encourage everyone listening to uh, either uh, go go order it, go pick up a copy at your local bookstore or uh, download the ebook version. 